Because today is a foundational day. I don't know how else to say that other than to say that a lot of people have misunderstood salvation and what it's all about. A lot of misinformation is spread, a lot of social gospel. And today, we're going to put it in its right place. And I want to start off by telling you what the words are that we're looking at. And one of those is the word eternity or forever. The second word is sin. The third word is hell. And the fourth word is salvation. Those four words we're going to unpack and we're going to share. I'm going to share with you how different people see those things and understand them. And how they use those very concepts to say that God isn't real or that faith is not um, valid or that the Bible is not reliable or that Christianity is just an idea. All those things roll into one thing and it comes to a lack of faith because of logic and other things I'll share with you here in just a moment. Now I want to talk first of all about forever or eternity. It is one of the most important to me parts of salvation because this is what got me into the fold. But I want to share with you that in terms of, if you look at the front of the bulletin, it says that today is the 12th of Heshvan, the year 5779. Meaning that according to the Hebrew calendar, that the world we're in from day one to now is 5,779 years old, according to what people believe that means. Now, many people say, well, if this world is only 6,000 years old, then the Bible is wrong on time frame because there's artifacts and carbon dating and the universe has things that are millions and billions of years old. So explain that. And because they see that as a falsehood or a fallacy, they think the rest of it is not reliable either. When someone can cause skepticism or doubt in one thing about the Bible, they'll discredit the rest. Same way with faith. You see a believer who doesn't walk in, in humbleness or gets angry or acts out of the, the faith and character and they say all Christians are like that, I don't want any part of it. They take one and make it a valid for the whole. And it's true. Now, I'm not going to explain to you how things can be millions and billions of years old this morning, but there is a reason for that. And our Scriptures are not unreliable because some folks don't understand. But I will say this, that some people do believe, but they're not real sure about eternity or forever. And so they believe that eternity begins when they die. That salvation happens at the time you die and then you go be with Jesus up in heaven. And uh, this forever is valid for my life because I go to church. Or maybe it's because I'm a good person. Or maybe I've said the sinner's prayer. Or maybe because I am baptized. 
Or maybe because I joined a church, therefore God has to give me admittance into eternity when I die into His kingdom. I'll go to heaven someday. This is a common belief among many people who kind of get faith, but they don't get the whole picture. Did you know that your relationship with Jesus Christ does not start when you are dead? It starts when you die to self and live for Christ in this lifetime. Your relationship starts while you're still living and breathing here on earth. It's not a later thing. It's not a go to heaven. It's you bring heaven here with Christ in you, dwelling in you as a part of the kingdom of God, which, as Scripture says, is in you. God is the only one who knows the truth about creation and history, and what He shared with Moses was not incorrect. But I will say this, I cannot live forever, you cannot live forever in eternity, unless God says you can. It's not because you said, I'm going to do it because I did this. It's His call, not yours. He's the authority. He's the one who owns salvation, who owns creation, who created you and gives you the very breath of life and you're not the one to dictate to Him what He's supposed to do with you. Amen. Oh, but, but, but God is... Don't, don't you hear this all the time? But, but God is so ruthless and angry and He should be more gentle and loving and do the things I tell Him and ask Him to do or else He's not a God of love. Why do we want to tell somebody who knows the Googleplex of stars by name and knows how far it is from the east to the west in the universe and the foundations of the earth how things are supposed to be done? We can't even cure a cancer. And God can eradicate it in a single word. This is what we don't remember when we begin to question the validity of eternity and forever. And some people say, well, it's just this life is all I'm going to have anyway. That's what they say. That forever and eternity, well, you know, it, it's not real. They write, write it off. Why? Because they don't want to think about those things and take responsibility for learning the truth about life. They don't answer those hard questions. How did I get here? Where am I going? What's my purpose? They'd rather just live from day to day. Why? Because those questions make us uncomfortable. What happens when I take my last breath? Am I still going to be here? Is God still real? Is He going to really carry me and usher me into the bosom of Abraham and I'll be there and enjoy and see my loved ones? Or is that just words? We don't want to think about that. Because if you become involved in the faith of Jesus Christ, you know that this all is true. It's not something where you begin to harbor a question of whether or not it's real. There is a glad reunion day. There is. Scripture calls it forth and it is the Word of God that cannot lie. But we can say it does. And some do. And they'll dismiss most of it for the fact of the rest of it. Because they don't understand. 
And that's how forever and eternity kind of plays out. They base it on limited belief about the past. And so therefore what it says about the future must not be right either. But did you know eternity has two directions? Backward and forward. Forever forward and forever backward. There was no beginning. God was there and there was no beginning. We can't fathom that. We talk about billions of years old and things like that. And God says, I was before all that. And we can't understand that. So how are we going to explain to ourselves a forever forward either? So that's how some people see eternity. But I want to move from that into sin. I have heard so many different things by non-believers about what sin is or those who have no belief or faith. It's interesting. I've heard things like, well, it's a power play by the church to get people into compliance. You ever heard that one? You know, control. And if the church can control everything, then they're in power and not God. And so, sin's a power play. Some people say, well, sin is not really bad because it's fun. I enjoy it. And it's not sin. It's only sin if you believe in God. Therefore, since I don't believe in God, it's not sin. Do you ever understand how your own belief system can transform the world's reality? Some people think that way. can get you confused. But there are some folks who understand sin a little differently. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but some people say sin is really bad. Sin is bad. If you sin, you're bad. If you don't sin, you're good. That's how some folks in church and a lot of church mentality is. And here's how it is. I'm going to draw a reference from Celebrate Recovery because this works. At Celebrate Recovery, if you say you don't have anything wrong with you, no problems, they look at you and say you're in denial. Everybody has some issue they need to work on, and that's why everybody needs Celebrate Recovery and the tools it provides to make you a healthy life. But when you go to church and you say there's something right with you, they go, of course. That's because you belong to God. It should be that way. So you can't show forth anything that would be uh, considered bad. Now if you go to Celebrate Recovery and you say, there's a lot wrong with me. I, I can't seem to get my life straight. I keep messing up. I keep failing before God. I, I struggle with so many things. Anger, anxiety, addiction, pornography, all these different things. They don't say, well, you know, you got a problem. They say, me too. Welcome home. Let's work on that together. But in church, if you get up and stand up and go, yeah, I got a problem with pornography and alcohol and drugs and abuse, and they're going to go, uh, there's something wrong with you. Amen. True. Isn't a church supposed to be a place where you can be broken to find healing? Isn't that what it's all about? 
And isn't that what I've been talking about for about five or six years now? About the healing that God provides to broken people? That there is none here who can say, I am well. We are all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 I got it for you on the board. You've heard this verse if you've ever read anything about salvation. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin is death. But we have all sinned. Says Romans chapter 3 and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. None. Nobody can sit here and go, well, you know, they're, 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 they're sinners over there. <laughs> you got to point to everybody, including yourself. We are all sinful by nature. Amen. Jesus even set the parameter. I love this. And, and I wish I would have read this a long time ago. Moses' law never gave prescription for life. The commandments could never provide salvation. They could only show a desperate need for a God to help you live a holy life. You can't live a righteous life without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on willpower. And you can't do it because you want to. And even when you want to, and you have willpower strong, after a while you're still going to sin. And that's what people don't understand. Sin is not just bad, it's deadly. Scripture even says we die because of sin. Paul says, for I have died and I am now crucified with Christ. Sin is deadly. It has destroyed and killed you. You're dead. Spiritually dead. You have no hope without Jesus Christ. The world has no hope without Jesus Christ. You cannot get from here to forever with God dead. You must have the power of God to transform you. Amen. But you know, people say, well, I don't know about that. And they say, sin, you know, it's, we'll have fun and we'll die and we'll shake all our friends' hands in hell. We'll have such a good time shaking hands, we'll never be miserable. <laughs> Let me share something with you on that word. That's the third word this morning is hell. There's some people who think it's fictional. Fictional. Like it doesn't exist. Like it's an idea conjured up again by the church or by religious fanatics to say that there is a place so you got to behave. To control the masses even. Mind control. People control. All these different things. I don't know about you, but when you have a fictional belief of heaven or hell or eternity or sin, then all of a sudden it doesn't matter what you do anymore. And there are a lot of people who live like that. They don't have a sense of responsibility to themselves, to the world, or other people on terms of being healthy or caring or loving because it doesn't matter. You die, you're dead. There is no hell, no worries. Now, the thing that really strikes me about when we begin to talk about it in the church is a lot of people don't want to talk about it. It makes people very uncomfortable. And there's a reason why. It's because a lot of scare tactics are used. It came from a long time ago. Most people's view of hell comes from Dante's Inferno. Do you remember that? On Dante's Inferno... The doorway to hell. Do you remember what that sign says? 
Anybody remember? What would you put on the entrance to hell for the people going in? Here's what he wrote. Abandon hope, all ye who enter herein. Abandon hope. And in Dante's Inferno, you get all the murders, the liars, uh, the, the infidels, all these people who have been ungodly, burning and in torture, in misery for an eternity. And people see that as their picture of hell. And so when we talk about hell in church, we talk about scare tactics. You can die and go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. The answer may be that you may die and go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. But you're not going to go to hell because you don't believe in Jesus. You're going to go to hell because you haven't received Him and lived into the faith. Belief is not enough. The demons believe and they are stuck. The truth about hell is it's an eternity without God. Whether it's the fires licking at your feet or needing a cool drink of water not being able to obtain it, whatever it is, it's an eternity without God. And God is what? Love, right? It means no love. No love, no compassion, no hope, no peace, no comfort. That is the truth. Whether there's a fire or not, without love, I don't want to be anywhere where I'm not loved. It's not comfortable. Someone who hates and hates without remorse is not a person I want to be around because that would be miserable. Could you imagine an eternity of your worst nightmare of not being loved? That's hell. And so it comes to salvation. Because forever sin and hell are prerequisites to understanding salvation. There are many people who believe it's fictional. That you die, you're dead. There's some people who teach reincarnation. You come back as a better form of yourself as something else if you live a good life till you finally reach the state of nirvana where you never come back as anything. You're just one with the universe. I don't have any idea what that means. There are some people who believe that uh, when you uh, translate into something else, you become a cow. I'm not making this up. That's the highest form of life in some places. I don't understand it, so I'm not going to criticize it. I'm just going to say I don't think that's where I want to end up with Jesus as in a cow. I'm not making light of that. I'm just saying that if this is your hope, your hope's a little small. But if your salvation is fictional, that you really don't get saved, that Jesus can't really save you, that He really didn't do the work, that He didn't really resurrect from the dead, you are very miserable because you have no hope for a better future. But those who do believe somewhat and consider that they're a believer only go halfway towards salvation. And they say it like this, I have it. Very simply, I'm saved already. I have it. I'm done. I've got what I wanted. I've got eternity 
and therefore I have it. But the Scripture doesn't say that. It says that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. You don't just have it. You work it out. Mm-hmm. And it's God's salvation, not yours. You didn't save you. You don't own it. Jesus owns it. It's a process that's worked out daily in faith. There are many ways people have found a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that relationship must grow. I think one of the simplest illustrations of a healthy life in Christ would be to show you what it's not. Imagine a marriage covenant where a person says, I love you, I want to be with you forever. And they say their wedding vows and they promise to each other and then they never see each other again the rest of their life. Well, I said the vows. I said I'd be true. I said I love you. Therefore, I'm in a relationship with you. Now I don't need you around anymore. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, your healer, your deliverer, don't you think He ought to be in the business of doing that stuff inside you? Amen. Don't you think He ought to be redeeming you from the troubles and the trials and helping you walk this life that you cannot walk without Him? Because sin is bigger than your willpower. No story is exactly the same as the next. I hear a lot of people do the story of, well, we were all sitting in Sunday school one day and 20 of us said the sinner's prayer and that's how we all got saved. Same way. Jesus finds you individually and saves you individually. He knows what you need. I tried for years to get saved. I was mad when my sister got saved. The song that was being played was almost persuaded. And, and uh, she got saved. And I said, oh, I missed it. Can they play the song again so I can get saved? Because I thought that's how you did it. So the next time the song was played, I went up to the altar and prayed. And I said, I don't think I got saved. They must not have played the song right. I didn't know what was wrong. I tried so many times. And then one day... When God found me, He found me the way I needed it in the way that I would experience His fullness and not the way someone else would need it. It's different. Your story does not have to be the same as somebody else's and most likely isn't. God is in the personal relationship business to make your story His story and your story. That's what God's about. But ultimately, salvation is a story about Jesus, not about you. I was pastoring in Georgia, and uh, a friend of mine who was our song leader asked me to go visit a friend of his, lived a few houses down, a guy named Delmas. Delmas was one of those guys who was in and out of the faith a lot. He's in his upper 60s, maybe low 70s. I'm not exactly sure which. But he lived a pretty rough life. He was in church in his early 20s and 30s and he fell away, began to drink, brawl, lost part of his uh, thumb in one of those brawls. And, and he asked me when I got there if it was too late for him to come back. I said, No. And he said, well, I'm not real sure that I was ever there in the first place because if I, if I went away 
from the relationship, how can I even be sure that I was there in the first place? I said, I can't answer that, but what I can tell you is we can pray right now to make sure you're in the right place. And Delmas and I prayed. And Delmas broke down before the Lord. And after the prayer, he said something to me that really touched my heart. He said, you know, I've done a lot of days living it for myself. Brawling, bruising, drinking, all those things. But now I want to find a way to spend the rest of my days pleasing my Heavenly Father. Amen. There's a different heart from Delmas and I. And all the people who knew him knew him as a scoundrel. That once good guy turned bad. And most of them only knew him in his bad years. And so when he announced it in his church the next week that God found him, they were skeptics. Why? Because sin is bad. Jesus probably can't change Delmas. And the eternity that Delmas is going to get is based on his miserable years and scoundrel and bruising and brawling ways. And Delmas made that announcement. And all you could ever find Delmas doing was hanging out at the church after that. Amen. He was at a little Baptist church there and he bought some paint and repainted the outside and needed a little touch up. Then he rebuilt the stairs and painted that. He was good at those kind of things. He started uh, adding on different things to make the church more beautiful outside. And then when he got done with that, he said, what can I do next? And he said, would you like to teach in Sunday school? He says, I don't know anything about the Bible. He says, you don't have to. You just have to know the Lord. And then ask the Lord to help you show others the truth. And he said, I'll try. And Delma spent the next years of his life showing his father that he loved him. It wasn't about, oh, I, I've got this relationship. Now I can do what I want. I have this relationship and it's the best thing I've ever found. There's nothing I've ever found better and never will. There's nothing that's given me peace in my heart like my relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing can do that but Him. There's nobody who can change a heart but Jesus Christ. And that's what Delmas found out. He almost found out too late, but God gave him three or four more years to serve. And on his deathbed, one of the things I remember hearing that he said was, well, I wish I'd have found out earlier there's so much I left undone for God. Mm-hmm. But thank God I got to do a little. Amen. Thank God I got to do a little. You see, the relationship with Jesus Christ is not about a momentary thing. That's like saying, well, I spent my one hour with God on Sunday morning in church, or for us an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, and I'm done for the week. Mm-hmm. Is that a relationship? No, this is a place where we get encouraged, lifted up to go out and live the life we're called to by God. This isn't living the life of faith. This is learning about it, getting encouraged and supporting one another. Because everybody in this room needs somebody to encourage them in the faith, to pray for them, to lift them up. And if all you can do that Sunday morning, there's a whole lot more time that people during the week are going to need lifted up that you're not doing it. Well, that's because I did my time for God on Sunday. It's like a jail sentence. It's not. It's a joy. When people find out how awesome it is to be able to give from your heart 
And it makes you feel good all over because you see lives change. It makes you want to do more. It makes you want to inspire people with the love of God and find ways to do that. And what it really does is it begins to show you that when you pray for somebody, God works. That your intercessory prayer actually touches the heart of God. That interceding on someone's behalf is not only possible, it's transforming. Just don't give up doing it. God even instructed us to pray for one another. Even our enemies. Yeah, even them. We're going to intercede in a few moments today for some people. I don't know who all, but I know several because I have some that I'm going to intercede for. And we're going to do that very simply by saying, God, I bring them to the foot of your cross. I ask that you provide a way for them to come to your presence, your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness so that they can have a relationship with you. And if it requires something of me, I'll do it. But make a way for them, God, to find a way to You through Jesus Christ. John Wesley said this, Do you have faith? Have you faith? The man whose son was demon-possessed in the Gospels when they came down the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus says all things are possible if you believe. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, I, I got it halfway. I kind of do, but I'm still struggling with this thing. It was enough. It was enough. To believe a little bit is enough. Because Jesus is the one who does the work, not your faith. Do you believe? Do you really know what your eternity, your forever looks like? Or will be like? Do you know without question in your heart and mind what will happen with you the day you cease to be alive on this earth? Do you know? Have you the assurance in your heart of the witness of the Holy Spirit that you do indeed belong to God? Romans chapter 8 says His Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are His children. And by the same Spirit Jesus cried out, we say, Abba, Father, Daddy. Mm -hmm. Do you desire to please God and Him only in all that you do? I beg to differ that there are times when we can say, no, not always. But I sure would like to do more. If you have a relationship with God, there's that, I would like to do more. Because you want to please Him. What is your plea before God when the record of the book of your life is opened? And they begin to read all the things that you've done in your life and ask you to give an account. What is your plea on that day? Let me tell you how this works.
Better yet, I'll show you. I like visuals. You see, according to Scripture, and according to the historians that tell us how things work, when someone was convicted of a crime, they wrote down all the things that they did on a scroll. And they took that scroll, and on the outside of that scroll, they put a seal and put it wherever that person was. If it was in a jail, they nailed it to the door of that cell. And it had the date on which those crimes would have been covered punishment-wise. If it was a, a crime deserving of death, it would say death and what the manner of death would be. If it was uh, recom- re- re- uh, paying back the, the debt, it would say how much and when it had to be done by. And that scroll would be sealed and attached to that person in debtor's prison or if they were being crucified on a cross. This is the handwriting of requirements that were written in the book of life or in their life that they were being convicted of and punished for. On the day of reckoning, on the day of judgment, at the end of your life, when you stand before Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father, He's going to unroll the scroll of your life. And everything that you've done that wasn't in relationship with God, that you would have done as a sin, a misdeed, a failing, are all going to be written on that scroll. And it's going to be read. Before God. And that scroll will have at the bottom of it, the wages of sin is death. And that scroll is to be read before the judge. And one of two things is going to happen. Number one, you can say, what's your plea? And you say, it's true, guilty is charged. And he'll say, depart from me, enter into eternal condemnation. Without me. The second one is, what's your plea? Let's say, you know, on uh, October 21, 2018, I came to the foot of the cross. And I said, God, I can't save myself. And I cannot bear the fact that I am responsible and the punishment rests on me. And so what Jesus will do in that moment is what He did and will become a reality in your life. Found in Colossians chapter 2. Maybe you've heard this before, but maybe now you'll understand it a little bit different. This is one of my favorite passages about what Christ did. It says, In you, being dead... Sin, in your trespasses, which is sin, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all, all your trespasses. 
And having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, which is a punishment of death, that was against us or against you, which was contrary to you, means it was against you because you had to pay the price. And He took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. He disarmed all principalities and powers and people who didn't believe who came humbly before the throne. And this is what that is. Colossians 2, 13-14. This is what it is on the cross. The sin of the world, past, present, and future. The punishment is death for even the first one. And Jesus says, and He taken your scroll, my scroll, and He rolled it up, It said on that handwriting requirements, all sin, not just some, past, present, and future for all of us, he takes. And it's nailed to the cross. And do you know why it's nailed to the cross? Because he intended to pay your debt. A debt you could not pay. A debt He did not owe. But He did it in love for each one of us that we would have life. This is what Christ Jesus did on the cross. He wiped out sin as the problem. And so you know what we're stuck with? Selfishness, greed, unbelief, and we still have another chance. Because He's wiped out all the disbelief's consequences if we'll enter into the relationship and live our life with Him. It's not difficult to figure out that I would rather have Him pay the price than you. Why? Because I don't want you to die without Jesus. I heard it this way one time and I think you'll like it. Friends don't friends. Let friends die without Jesus. So if you know anybody who doesn't know Jesus, they need on that cross. And under the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, so they come into that relationship. Until that blood flows over their life and they're restored to the relationship that they need to be in. And there's some of us here today that need that, that don't, don't really understand it at first. And now maybe you have a better understanding about what that is. And so when you put the names on there, even if it's your own, pray blood of Christ over them and God's mercy and patience to bring them to salvation. Does that make sense? Amen. It does to me. It's how I understand it. It's how God promises us if we will do this, He will do His part. But we got to do ours, don't we? 
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I've uh, never been in a service like this before. But I know you can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Even when we're not sure. Even when we're not quite all the way there in understanding if we, if we got even just a maybe. So God, I'm asking this day that each name that's called forth, each person here, would be drawn deeper into who You are. And Your Holy Spirit with the conviction would say, yes, You are my Father's child. Or no, You're not quite there yet. Come and enter into Your rest. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.